0: The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by Kingsters for Kingsters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla, and it's free. as he is known around the kink and fetish community. Hi there, catsuit!
1: Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to the program. And please, if you will, pardon my voice because uh, I lost my voice earlier this week, but was not about to miss this wonderful program where I'm getting to interview somebody that I very much wanted to interview for a while. My friend Rope Prose, who is a bondage photographer over across the pond, brought this person to my attention and when I heard about their story, I knew I had to bring it to you. Ariel Anderson is a submissive BDSM performer. She spent her childhood in a Jehovah's Witness family and it was only after training as a classical actress that she discovered her interest in BDSM was a legitimate sexual identity rather than a shameful secret. Having ascertained that she wasn't entirely alone with her desires after all, she began modeling for bondage photographers in the hope of creating work that would demystify and perhaps play a part in destigmatizing the BDSM community. In 2015, she began producing her own fetish movies in addition to her regular modeling work. She can be found on Twitter at ariel anderson and on her youtube channel called ariel's twilight years her forthcoming memoir playing to lose is available for pre-order on unbound's website ariel anderson on what women and other wonderful humans want
0: they are the questions that establish the story five questions about firsts bringing back the genesis of the character Behind the Human. It's the first five, and it starts now.
1: First time you set foot outside the door and realized you didn't have to worry about being a Jehovah's Witness.
2: Well, the first time, when we left Jehovah's Witnesses when I was 13, and it was a very dramatic change in my life because we thought well I thought that like the world was going to end before I grew up so I wasn't expecting to reach the age of 16 because the Jehovah's Witnesses they were um predicting the end of the world for like by 1992 that's kind of at the time so I thought I was going to be like a child forever um so it was a bit of a shock to be honest um at first it wasn't the easiest thing to come to terms with kind of being mortal and the fact that I was going to have to have a job. But I think the the feeling of relief came kind of afterwards as I gradually realized, wow, I'm never going to have to do those things again. Like I can have weekends to play with my friends. All of that stuff kind of came after the initial shock. So it was amazing. And I was actually speaking to an ex-Jehovah's Witness um, a couple of weeks ago, and he said when he goes up to people's front doors, he still gets this, um, he gets kind of triggered. He doesn't want to ring the doorbell. And I thought, wow, actually, I got away with that one. I don't feel that particular trauma. I'm sure I've got some of my own ex-Jehovah's Witness traumas, but that one, I'm okay with ringing people's doorbells,
1: <laughs> which I'm glad of. First time you step on stage as a Shakespearean actress and your emotions going through it.
2: That was amazing. That was in my first year
1: after drama school,
2: um, the first Shakespeare show I was casting was Much Ado About Nothing. And I was playing Hero, who to be honest is not the most interesting character, but she's not the lead. She, and she's not like a funny character. But I was in London, I mean, out of London, not a fancy bit of London. I was on a stage, not a fancy stage, and I was speaking Shakespeare's lines. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful and exciting. And I wanted to do it forever. Like, I don't do Shakespeare now, but at the time, it was exactly what I wanted to do. So, yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful moment.
1: First time you were ever recognized for your television work.
2: Oh, you know, it's a weird thing that I have been recognized, but people are so polite that they never come up to me at the time. They just write to me afterwards or they tweet and say, did I see you uh, on Shrewsbury High Street? Um, so actually, I have yet to, I've never had someone come up to me just in normal life and say, are you Ariel Anderson? And I'm sort of hoping one day someone will be brave enough to do it at the time instead of afterwards. Because I, I can see it's probably because they want to be courteous and they don't want to kind of out me as kinky if I'm maybe with people who don't know about my job. But I am out to everyone, so they don't need to worry about that. Um, And I'd love it. I'd love it if I could meet some of these people. Of course, like at conventions, I get recognized, but that's not the same thing, is it? It doesn't count. Um, So I think I can't actually remember the first time because I never get to meet these people. They just write to me afterwards, which is way less exciting. But hopefully one day that will happen.
1: The first time you realized you had an inkling that you were a submissive. Wow.
2: This sounds a bit disturbing. And I, I, (laughs) I'm always a bit hesitant to talk about it. But I was terribly young. I mean, obviously, I didn't know it was sexual at the time, but I was not three years old yet. And I remember lying under the dining room table in my parents house, and just thinking about how nice it would be to be kidnapped by Captain Hook. Um, (laughs) and you know I wasn't aware that would be my sexuality one day I just thought that sounds really exciting and so my interests remained like that all the way through my childhood and of course it wasn't until I reached kind of 16 that I realized oh god this is like a sexual orientation um so up until that point it had always just been a thing that I knew it was kind of special and I had the sense I probably shouldn't tell people about it I should just keep this interest to myself, um, which I did. (laughs) So yeah, terribly young, terribly young.
1: First time you ever saw a picture of yourself bound, and maybe gagged, and what your reaction was to it?
2: That was very exciting. It was after, it wasn't actually after the first shoot I did, because sometimes, of course, producers take a different amount of time to Stuff out. So it wasn't my first bondage shoot, but the pictures came out onto this website. Um, and I remember I just kept going and looking over and over again. Like I couldn't really believe oh, it's actually me, like tied up um, with a ball gag. And I mean, to be honest, I was a little bit frightened by it a little bit worried because you know I could see it so everyone else could see it and it felt like a really big step coming from a conservative religious background especially. You know, I I did worry to begin with about judgment of from other people. So it was an ambivalent feeling, but the excitement and the happiness and the pride were outweighing the feelings of kind of anxiety and shame. And, and as my careers progressed, the, the good feelings have just increased and the bad feelings have disappeared. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a complete pleasure, it was a scary kind of pleasure
1: we will talk about the evolution of ariel anderson and a lot more including about her new book that's coming out and there's a bit of celebration to be had for that when we come back on what women and other wonderful humans want presented by dating kinky
0: we do this show without paid advertisers and provide it to you as a labor of love if you want to help the show, as well as contribute to Catsuit's conference fund to get live interviews and teach some amazing classes, you can give at bit.ly slash Now let's hear from some of Catsuit's friends with some messages for you. Welcome to the Yoni-verse. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Anya. The Flaming Yoni podcast is a celebration of the beautiful and unique expressions of female sexuality. From asexual to megasexual, from lifelong monogamy to relationship anarchy, from deep spiritual bonds of sacred union to spur of the moment flames. It is all infused with Yoni energy. Search for the Flaming Yoni on your favorite podcast platform. You will not leave the same as when you
1: came. Have you ever dreamed of a house that is kink friendly in every room? Have you ever wanted a getaway where your every desire is contained within steps? In Cincinnati, Ohio, the Wanton Sinners B&B is now open. Two kink equipped bedrooms, a fully equipped basement dungeon, and a living room with cages and restraint points throughout. And you can leave your toy bag at home because every space comes with plenty of toys and restraints. Visit Wanton Sinners on FET and follow the links to the Airbnb and Verbo listings. The Wanton Sinners b in Cincinnati, where your dreams have a home.
0: Hi, this is Venus and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. The heart of the dominatrix, portraits and interviews of exceptional mistresses. This book is about female domination. This book is about dark corners, both physically and psychologically. This book is for you, whether you're a beginner or have decades of experience with BDSM. If you're eager to learn more about power exchange dynamics or are simply interested in relationships and the aesthetics of this world, this book will change your perspectives. Be warned. Visit dominatrix.com to order your copy today. We invite you to connect with us on social media so you can follow all the great news about the show. You can find us on Twitter at whatwomenwantp1, on Instagram at whatwomenwantpodcast, and on FetLife at www.podcast. And if you want to follow the host, That's easy, as on Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, he is, hi there, catsuit. And now back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky.
1: Welcome back to the program. Proud to be joined by Ariel Anderson, whose book, Playing to Lose, has just been published and is now available for pre-order and possibly order now. How exciting is that?
2: I'm very excited. Yeah, only available for pre-order at the moment because publishing moves so slowly. I mean, I know it's not just because they're slow. It's because they have to do loads of stuff before a book gets actually onto bookshelves but it's been quite an education because working in my field you know porn stuff happens fast you know I shot something this morning it's available for sale this afternoon um and that's what I'm used to and it's a bit of a shock to realize wow in book publishing it's a completely different game this is slow and a lot of people are involved in every decision so yeah it's an interesting thing to watch.
1: I am fascinated by the fact that you said that you had shot something this morning, because as I look at you, you look very conservative, you're wearing a cardigan jumper, you're wearing a blouse, you look like you just would have come back from tea with someone, yet the excitement of living your life allows you to live your fantasy one morning as you like yeah yeah what's it like to be able to do that because that's what a lot of people dream about
2: it does honestly it continues to feel like such a privilege every day uh, and i i really mean that because i am very aware that a lot of my customers for example I am their outlet for their fantasy, you know, me and models like me, you know, making custom videos for them. And often I'm doing activities they've never had a chance to do at all. Um, And there's a lot of people like that. And I can see if things have worked out differently, I could have been one of those people easily, really easily, Um, especially if I'd been born a few, a couple of decades earlier. Um, if it hadn't been for the internet, I think a lot of us wouldn't have got as far as we have with experiencing the stuff we desire. And so I am aware constantly that things could have worked out a little bit differently. And I have never done any of this. And instead, I get to do it as a full time job. And it, I cannot think of anything I would rather be doing with my life. It's really, yeah, privilege is the right word. That's what it feels like.
1: When I saw the video introducing your book, first of all, the funniest video I have seen in a long time.
2: Oh, bless you. Thank you. I liked doing it. Because
1: it was so, as you Brits say, cheeky. You had so much fun with it, and it really showed your personality. And You're sitting back watching this going, this is an amazing story yeah she's teasing me a little bit being behind a screen but the fact is I want to hear this story
2: well it's a good old strange story isn't it it's it's Absolutely. pretty weird <laughs> I like to say you know if you want to read a book about a Jehovah's Witness who became a BDSM model like mine is the only book there isn't another one because it's such a weird trajectory that no one else has probably done that although maybe once the book's out I will hear from some other people who've done the same
1: thing which would be amazing what inspired you to write it other than it's such an amazing story
2: I think that like people in my family, there are a lot of writers in my family and I've always kind of considered myself to be sort of the stupid one. And so I wouldn't have considered writing it. Um, But then I got approached out of nowhere by a literary agent a few years ago who said, have you thought of writing a memoir? Um, And I thought, well, I think I'd probably be bad at that, but you know what, I'll write the first chapter and see. And I started to write and immediately realized, oh, I love this. I mean, I don't know if I'm good at it, but I absolutely love this because it just turns out I've got a very, very good, vivid memory. So I remember stuff from quite early childhood in a quite organized way. It's like the filing cabinets in my brain are full of quite well-organized anecdotes. And I remember the progression of my sexuality. So once I started to write it, The difficult thing was not making it you know 200,000 words long because uh, you know I knew that no one would want to read something that was the size of a Stephen King but god I loved it and I miss it now that the book's finished I really miss the feeling so yeah it was I was very lucky that I was approached by someone else because I don't think I'd have ever had the courage to take that step on my own But having just one person say they'd like to read it was enough to at least get me started. And once I started, I became addicted to it. And I was writing in the middle of the night for a couple of months. I really wasn't sleeping because I was working all day and then writing (laughs) into the night. But isn't it wonderful when you find something you really love? And I guess maybe you feel like this about your podcast, that it doesn't really feel like work. And just putting in a couple more hours, it's more like... Maybe you wouldn't use this word. It it feels more like a compulsion. I don't know if it's like that for you, but it's a great feeling.
1: Very much so. I totally get that. So it leads me to ask the question, was the modeling and getting tied up or just having a lovely scene during that process more of an escape? or more of an inspiration to write more?
2: Well, you know, once I started, once I started writing, I must say, everything that happened at shoots, you know, if I had a really good shoot, I'd think, oh, I must write all of this down immediately. And if something bad happened, part of me was thinking, oh good, I can write about that. So it was nice, those couple of months where I was doing both, where I really was writing the story at night and, modeling for various stuff in the daytimes I that phase couldn't have lasted forever because I mean I would have had a breakdown you know I wasn't getting any sleep but I didn't want it to be over because having those two different completely different jobs for just a little while it was wow it was amazing and I think actually one thing with the way work the work world is these days that a lot of people are talking about the gig economy and having multiple jobs and I know it can be stressful but actually it's also so stimulating so like being tied up for work felt like a break from writing and then being comfortable and warm wearing nice like cardigans and writing felt like a break from being naked in a warehouse being tied up and it it was a really lovely period I think I'm going to have to write more books just to get back to that wonderful time of creating
1: one of the things that got me started in wanting to do this podcast Mm -hmm. obviously I wanted to stay creative after my television career but I had become somewhat, somewhat known for the fact that I would write long essays about most of my scenes really and people oh. would read them and say, "I was there with you for that."
2: so did you write these to to publish, or were these for the people you were in the scene with?
1: It was my thank you note to them.
2: Oh, it that's was fascinating.
1: A lot of people are talking about the fact that in different lifestyle, and it kind of blurs the line between lifestyle and pro Uh do you owe something to the person that had the scene with you especially when you're a male sub
2: yeah a lot of
1: times that happens I figured whether right or wrong that my biggest gift to that person would be the total presence of being in that scene and being able to share it with them afterwards.
2: That is such a beautiful thing to say because I don't think I've met anyone else who feels that way about it but that's how I feel as well that sometimes you know you you see submissives referred to as that you know the passive partner in a scene and I don't think that's true at all. I don't I think passivity is anything to do with that. I think if you're doing submission well, you're taking an active role and to write it down and kind of explain to the Dom afterwards, like what they gave to you, like how it felt. Um, it feels like kind of the best thing I can give them. Um, and so, writing my book, certainly in the later scenes when I was writing about doing BDSM with some of the best people I've done it with. The first thing I did once I'd written each chapter was to send it to the people who were involved in those scenes. And I'd never done that before in my life. I hadn't figured it out the way you had just to do it anyway. But once I'd done that and realized what it, how much it meant to them, I thought I should always do this because more communication to, to tell the person you did a scene with what it meant to you. Um, it's a really beautiful thing, isn't it? And and I feel like maybe we could all do with kind of communicating those feelings to each other better um, because it's so hard to understand from the other side. I don't know. I, I'm just a sub. I'm not a switch at all. I don't know if that's, is that the same for you?
1: Same for me. I, I have switched with people that have service switched. I think that's the best oh, way of yeah, putting it. Yeah. Where I, yeah. if I have a friend who goes, I haven't had a scene in such a long time and I could really use one. I'll say, I'm more than happy to do it for you. Oh, it kind. really doesn't do a lot for me. I mean, no. a- Ariel, the the thing you'll discover about me and the reason that I'm named Hi There Catsuit is if a woman has on a catsuit or something skin tight, it does more for me than if she were naked right in front of me.
2: right yeah no just the
1: way it is yes leave something to the imagination and i'll go "Hmm, this is lovely
2: yes yes but
1: selfishly those articles that i wrote because i'm clinically an unselfish person i mean my therapists go you're so unselfish you don't take care of yourself Mm -hmm. but by writing this it helps me process it
2: Oh, yes. Selfishly,
1: it makes me hope that somebody will read this and go, wow, I'd like to be on the other side of that to see what reactions he would have to me. Yes.
2: I hope it does do that. I hope you get exactly that from it.
1: Um, I I wish I could say yes. I'm I'm not going to be able to give you a perfect yes. But those who have. Have found that that connection is amazing right
2: fantastic like what i want is for doms to read the sort of stuff that maybe both of us write and think you know i think i should do this back i should explain to them what i got out of the scene (laughs) because as a sub it's so hard to imagine what a dom is getting out of it i find i mean i know they must be getting something out of it or they wouldn't be doing it but i would hate it so much that i sometimes worry that are they enjoying it the way i am and so the more we can communicate with each other across the divide, I think the better, really.
1: There is a podcast that I am hoping to do
2: Mm -hmm.
1: with a dominatrix that literally has a scene in it. What
2: a wonderful idea.
1: But then afterwards, we do an interview about what it meant to both of us and what we took out of different parts of it. Now, I obviously would have value to that, but I would also think it would have value to the person that I'm interviewing as well, because it helps go into their brain as well.
2: Yes, because it is hard, however much empathy we try to have, it is very hard to understand the pleasure that someone can be getting out of the opposite of the thing you like. like. I've always thought to myself, I would rather not do kinky stuff at all than have to do it from a Dom point of view—it's so foreign to me and so frightening to me. Um, but hearing what a dominant, you know, in their own words, what a dominant is getting out of a scene that I am aware of, like I know what happened in that scene. Yeah, that would be brilliant. I hope you do do that. That sounds like an amazing idea for a podcast.
1: I appreciate that. Let's get back to your feelings in Rope. Mm-hmm. Can you describe to me a scene? that made you feel that that you were in the safest place in the world?
2: Oh yes I have had that experience and it's a really wonderful experience isn't it and you know it's a strange I do the the one that springs to my mind I was working with Eric Kane who I love he's a really he's a good friend
1: I've seen Eric. He works with my friend, Carissa Dumond. Oh, and I'm fanta- like, Oh, you
2: know her. Fantastic. I know
1: Carissa quite well. And I have actually called Carissa after one of the scenes has come out. And I would say, and I'll talk to you about this mm-hmm. as well. How did you survive it? Because it is- what he does is so intense.
2: It really is. And it scares me. It really scares me. Like often I can't eat before a shoot with him because I think, what if I can't do it this time? You know, it's really at the edge of what I can cope with. Um, and sometimes a bit more than what I can cope with. And I, and I'm, Frightened, but I remember that towards the end of a scene I shot with him in 2019, I've been so frightened of it. It was going to be really intense and I knew it was going to, it was a custom video, which is worse because you see the whole script before you do it, so you know what's coming. <laughs> and also, you know, there's not much flexibility to change it. You know, if I can't cope with something, he can't just completely change the direction of the scene. So it is, it's difficult. Um, but we were towards the end of the scene and all of this stuff had happened and was still happening, it was so painful. Um, and he said, that, as his character, have you had enough? Um, and I realized, no, 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 I haven't. I mean, this is really insanely difficult, but I feel like I could stay here forever. I just feel safe. I feel like this is painful, but this is not dangerous. I'm not scared anymore. This is wonderful. Um, So yeah, that's the last time I remember feeling exactly what you just said. And it's an amazing feeling. And I guess it's what we're always looking for. We're always looking to feel that again.
1: My mantra is I want to be stuck in a moment I can't get out of.
2: That is beautiful. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I realize to it's a on. U2 lyric, but it's true.
2: Is it? Is it? Yes.
1: <laughs> <That was the laughs> I didn't recognize of, it. That was the name of one of their albums, I think, Stuck in a Moment I Can't Get Out
2: of. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I totally understand what you mean. You can't get out, but you don't want to get out. It's a fantastic feeling. And often a lot of the stuff I shoot is I'm playing a damsel in distress, so I'm pretending I want to get out. And it's very tiring because sometimes it's the last thing I want. I don't want to get out at
1: all. <laughs> And you have single-handedly described what makes me so happy when it comes to a scene. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a on a seeking board for a certain group Uh that I would love to have a heavy bondage scene. Yeah, mostly from looking at at uh, Carissa's pictures with Eric Kane. Yeah, I have an amazing uh, friend uh, named Lumen. And she has some of the most amazing bondage pictures. And then there's uh, Tina Page and Dal Dahlia, who are down in Florida, who do these amazing device and predicament bondage things together. Uh And I'll I'll even go so far as, and I'm name dropping, I realize this. Go ahead. But go so (laughs) far as, Vicky DeVica had posted uh, she's a latex fetishist mm-hmm. and she had posted a picture with a custom made latex gas mask uh-huh. that literally looked like it was one piece with her catsuit. Wow. And the way she she wasn't bound but the way she was holding herself I was starting to hold my breath. Mm -hmm. I was starting to go, oh my God, could I take that? What would it be like to be in that? And suddenly I'm feeling all the hairs on my arm start to stand up. Yeah. Are there scenes that you look at and you go, put me there?
2: Yes. Yeah, there are. And of course, being a model, you can put yourself there. Like You can contact that producer and more often than not, they'll say yes. So that's one of the loveliest things about you know the beginning of my career, suddenly discovering there's bondage on the internet, looking at all these websites and thinking, oh, I think I could do this. I think I can write to this producer and maybe do this. But yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, Eric Kane is a good example. I saw his work on social media. Um, and thought, oh, I wanna do that. Like, I'd never shot anything like that. There's not many people shooting stuff like that um, that's that intense. Um, and in the UK, there certainly isn't anyone doing anything like that. Um, and I thought, that's what I want to do. That I know that's what I want to do. I don't know if I can do it, but I guess I should give it a go. Um, and so yes, I, the first part of my career was all looking online and thinking, oh, I want to be that person. I wonder if I can make myself be that person. And I was very lucky to discover that I could. Um, it's one of the, I guess, again, one of the privileges of being a like cis female performer. There are a lot of opportunities for wish fulfillment because really you can probably find someone not only to do that stuff to you, but you can get someone to pay you to do it. Um, so you can do it with someone who's a professional, which is really nice because it means you definitely stay
1: safe. I have been privileged to have some amazing riggers and bondage producers on the show. Mm -hmm. Do you have somebody on your bucket list that you're dying to work with and haven't had a chance to yet?
2: Yeah, I really, really wanted to work with Jim Weathers, Bondage Cafe. Um, we haven't managed to make it happen and I hope that one day we can. I've met him um, and I've, I've loved his work since the first day that I saw it. Um, so that, definitely, definitely him. I'd like to work with Lou Rubins. And again, it's not happened. We've talked about it and we haven't actually done it because obviously these people are very, very far from me. So it makes things more difficult. Um, and there are probably more people as well. But I have to say, I've been lucky enough that a lot of the people who were on my bucket list are now my friends who I work with regularly. And I couldn't be happier about that. Like I have fulfilled a lot of my kinky ambitions, fantasies through working with the people that I saw online and thought I have to work with these people. And it's, it's a delight really, isn't it? Is
1: there a bucket list scene that you would like to do?
2: I do have it's Yeah, I have this kind of vision in my mind. (laughs) It's like a strapado, but it's bent over a table. Um, So like my torso would be resting on the table. Um, because I often find the limiting factor for me in Strapados. I love Strapados, but they start to hurt my lower back really quickly. Um, So I was figuring that that way I could probably get quite an extreme arm Strapado because my body wouldn't be able to move. So and I really want to do that. Um, (laughs) So I know it's very specific, (laughs) but I've just I've never worked with someone who'd got the right setup to do it. Um, And so that's in my mind. And there are probably more. There are probably more things in my mind, but that's the one that kind of floats to the surface of my mind first because I've wanted to do that for ages and I've just not found the opportunity to do it yet. Um, I draw pictures sometimes and keep them and think, well, I've got to find a rigger who knows how to do
1: this. (laughs) I want to get in your mind a little bit, Ariel. Uh I would love to know if you could take me in To what the thought process of a scene is in your mind. You walk into a studio or to a place where a scene is going to take. Uh Do you have expectations or do you have anticipations?
2: I think what I always hope, because what I am, I think, primarily, and working in this business has given me lots of opportunity to. Kind of consider this is what I really am before anything else is submissive. So I like rope very much, but it's only one way of being submissive. And I like spanking a lot because it's another way of being submissive. So when I'm entering a scene with someone who I want to have a good experience, especially, the thing that really is always in my mind is trying to figure out what they want most like what the ultimate, what the ultimate thing I can give to them will be, like what will make the scene really good for them. And I know that sounds a bit, it sounds unselfish, but it's not unselfish. It's the the pleasure of giving someone exactly what they want, figuring it out and being able to give it to them. Um, that pleasure is, is sort of beyond anything else. So whether it's a rope scene or a spanking scene or just a dom-sub interaction, it's, it's the feeling of getting the connection where you really feel like you're giving them what they want, like your responses are what they want um, and what you're doing is what they want to see, what they want to feel. And I, I guess I'm kind of addicted to that feeling. So that's what I'm always, anticipating like always hoping and of course it doesn't always happen but when it does it just feels like fireworks like magic
1: I have often said that when rope is put on me or any kind of bondage is put on me it's like a physical hypnosis yes. every time yes. a rope loops around fall deeper
2: yeah what, yeah, what a great way of thinking of it. Yes, yes, I t- certainly relate to that.
1: And when you can get totally lost in that feeling. Now, I will tell you my bucket list item yeah, is yeah. to have a bondage that is so complete that I have no choice. Right.
2: Yes, yes. I now, miss-
1: I've, I've had cuffs. Yes, that's wonderful. I've had some rope scenes that I've been suspended. That's pretty amazing. But I have never been taken down and been in a situation where it's like, we're going to bind you in a way that you're, you can't move, you can't escape, and we're, under your, we're you're under our control the entire time and you don't have a choice about it.
2: Yes, yes. And you've not had that experience yet?
1: Unfortunately, no
2: oh, well, I hope you get that experience because, yeah, that's a pretty magical thing. And I feel like you don't even need to do it very many times. If you have an experience like that, it kind of lives with you forever. That's one of the best things I've found about BDSM. This so it's not like I need to play hard all the time. I just have to play hard occasionally and those memories just stay with you. Uh, it's, yeah, fantastic. I hope you get to do that because it is wonderful.
1: I've told Carissa that I would love to meet Eric Kane sometime.
2: You should. He's
1: lovely. He's lovely. I don't know if Eric would go, okay, this would be a challenge. But <laughs> as a six foot four, 59 year old person who likes catsuits, mm-hmm. I can imagine the canvas that he would have simply putting ropes around that
2: yes totally totally it's such a shame there aren't many riggers like him because I think there's a lot of us who would like to experience that um and I yeah I wish that we could kind of replicate him across the world um because you don't want to do stuff like that with someone who's not skilled because it's not obviously it's not safe Um, it's a risky activity and you need to be doing it with someone who will be kind of switched on. But yeah, I hope you get to do it because I don't need to do it all the time, but I need to do it occasionally. And it is magical when I do.
1: The thing that I love Ariel is the fact that at least when I look at fetish material, porn adult, whatever you want to call it, I'm not turned on by the TNA. I'm not turned on by, hey, look how much I'm going to stick my butt out. Sure. I'm turned on by your mind. I'm turned on by, what is she thinking right now?
2: Yes. Like, I think we're lucky, kinky people, us kinky people, often the stuff that turns us on is kind of complicated. I mean, it's kind of psychological a lot of the time. It's really, I guess it can be simplistic, but it often feels like it's, it's very, very complex. And I think it's lovely because it kind of lends itself to thinking about it a lot and constructing fantasies. It's really not simple as here are some boobs, but here's some penetration, it's, you know, it's, it's stories and it's connections and it's magical.
1: Well, when we come back on the program, we're going to talk a little bit about the backstory because we got so much into the process of how lovely it is that it we is. got lost. And that's what I love. But we will actually talk more about the book and when we come back on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky.
2: This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book,
0: Yes Mistress, takes you on a provocative,
2: eye opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think
0: and more rewarding than you can ever imagine.
1: Yes Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Well, hi there, catsuit. This is Jacqueline
2: Powers, and yes, I really am back, recording new Hypnosis files again on YouTube, and also on Patreon. For the more adventurous fans out there. And John, I really enjoyed coming on your show so much and finding out that you had your very own experience with my hypnosis files. So, if you want to learn more about how I got started with online hypnosis, all you have to do is just listen. To my interview on the What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want podcast.
1: You all know I love my cat suits, and the ones that have never let me down come from the amazing winter fetish. I've had some of them for 10 years and they're still going strong. Specifically made for fetish play, these suits come in only the best spandex or PVC with zippers made for action. You've seen them in the house of Gordon, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, and now these suits can be yours. And if you use the code WWWSPANDEXCAT, you get 10% off your purchase and you support the show as well. And as always, I give you this promo because I believe in what Winter Fetish does. So visit winterfetish.com and use the promo code www.spandexcat and get the cat suit of your dreams from Winter Fetish. Hi, Don. Hi, Dan. Recently, we put together a brand new book called Hearts and Collars, reflecting 20 years in a power exchange relationship. It's 350 pages of what we've been living for the past 20 years. Indeed. And it's got chapters like communication, power exchange and spirituality, how to be a leader, high protocol, becoming a follower, rituals, the new porch time, victim, survivor and thriver, power exchange and polyamory, submissive versus wife. The practical contract guide. Relationship short shorthand. As well as other tools
2: and experiences we've had over the years.
1: Check it out at eroticawakening.com/slash hearts and collars. Bye Dan. Bye Dawn.
0: Hi there. I'm Nookie. My pronouns are She Hers, and I'm the founder of Dating Kinky, a different kind of dating and educational site for Kinksters, Polly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Catch me in my own podcast, Dating Kinky. And now back to John and their guest on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans
1: Want. Welcome back to the program, joined by Ariel Anderson, who has a new book coming out called Playing to Lose, which sounds like a very interesting title. But for a submissive, it makes a lot of sense.
2: Does it make sense to you? I'm glad because, of course, I wasn't really sure if other people would understand it. It's just it's important to me. It kind of sums up for me what I'm looking for. Um, But I I hope that other people would understand it. So thank you. That makes me happy.
1: Have you had the Jehovah's Witness program or JW.org or whatever they are these days? come back at you for any of this?
2: Not yet. I'd be very, very interested if they did. I I think their policy with ex Jehovah's Witnesses is basically to run away and hide. You know, I've not seen uh, there've been several books by ex Jehovah's Witnesses that have come out recently, and as far as I'm aware, the Jehovah's Witnesses have just ignored the whole thing because they there's nothing to say. You know, these people are telling the truth. It's a It's a horrible religion um, that lies to get control over people and they really can't defend that truthfully. So, no, I'm not expecting to get the Jehovah's Witnesses coming knocking. I mean, they're not allowed to speak to me because I'm an ex-Jehovah's Witness. So apart from anything else, they'd be breaking their own rules if they came to remonstrate with me. So I I think I'm probably safe.
1: (laughs) You said in your video that you went to a Christian school and discovered how to be an atheist.
2: I did, I did a year, when I graduated from drama school, I did a year of theatre touring. Um, It's called, I don't know if it's called the same thing over there, it's called Theatre and Education. You take theatre to schools, and prisons, and churches, and community centres as well, but a lot of schools. And it was a Christian theatre company. At the time, I was still a Christian. I'd left the Jehovah's Witnesses, but I was too scared to leave God behind altogether, so I was still believing. And just doing a year of this Christian theater tour, it started to make me really question my own faith because the, the kids kept on asking really sensible questions about, well, why is there so much suffering in the world? And I realized, I didn't always have a good answer. Um, and I started thinking about those questions. So yeah, that experience actually converted me to atheism rather than converting any children to Christianity. Um, And it was, it was it was a very interesting experience for me. I mean, it wasn't comfortable, but I'm glad I did it because I'm much happier as an atheist. Now I, when I make decisions, I think, you know, what do I think is right rather than what does the Bible say is right. And I find that It's a very freeing experience after growing up in a religion where everything you're told what to do in every department of your life. Having the freedom to decide for yourself what you think is right. I mean, it's a bit scary, but it's a it's a massive freedom as well. And I really appreciate it.
1: You use the word freedom so many times in that last paragraph. Did I?
2: Yeah, I guess it's important, isn't it?
1: But does being bound for you, create the greatest freedom of all?
2: Yes. Yes, it does. Because being free to be yourself, I guess, is the most profound kind of freedom, isn't it? Like, and so when I'm doing BDSM, it feels like I'm the most truthful kind of elemental version of myself. And I'm also communicating in the most truthful way that I can. And that feels exactly like freedom because certainly growing up as Jehovah's Witness there's a lot of stuff you can't say you can't be honest about doubts um you don't communicate honestly you don't show vulnerability to your Jehovah's Witness friends in case they think you're like backsliding and you're not being a good Jehovah's Witness and in BDSM we communicate honestly and the freedom of that is really remarkable to me
1: you found your love Happens to like the same stuff as you do.
2: Isn't that lucky? (laughs)
1: How did you find each other?
2: Well, I wrote to him because he was a bondage photographer. So he was one of the first people whose work I found just when I was stumbling over Bondage Cafe and all sorts of other people. I found this photographer and he lived in the same country as me. So I wrote to him to say, Would he like to work with me? I was a very new model. Um, And he said, No. Um, because I don't think he liked how I looked. <laughs> and the fact that he'd said no, maybe you'll understand this as a fellow submissive. I mean, it just made me want him more. Um, I just, How can I please this man? So I... I negotiated my fee. I said, look, I'll work for less money. Um, I think I'd be a good model for you. Why don't I do a sort of test shoot for half the price? So he said, "Okay, I guess you really are serious about this. So yes, come along. And we had a photo shoot and we got on really well and we became friends and we started shooting a lot of my fantasies that I had never shot. I would tell him the fantasy and he'd make it into a video. Um, So we shot a lot of the things I wanted to do, a lot of the things he wanted to do. And we very gradually fell in love over a period of years Um, but yeah I like to remind him that the first time I wrote to him and sent him my pictures he was like "Ooh, no thanks (laughs) (laughs) it's a terrible beginning for a romance isn't it
1: (laughs) I also find it quite ironic that the damsel in distress the sweet damsel that wants to be tied up Is six foot two?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds a little bit like you that, yeah, like being submissive, it doesn't mean that you have to look a certain way, does it? And actually, when I started modeling, the first people who I approached wanted to cast me as a dominant because of my height, Um, and I can see why. But it Mm -hmm. was a little bit of a fight to begin with to get people to cast me in a way that represented who I am rather than what I looked like. Um, and and I'm glad that some people were willing to take the chance on me, but yeah, it's certainly, it's a bit difficult if your physical presence doesn't really match what's going on inside because I, I know certainly in my early twenties, the sort of men I attracted were submissive men. You know, we'd start dating and I'd find out, oh God, he wants to be tied up, fuck. Like, <laughs> Again. Um, and I thought, where are all the dominant men? And they they weren't noticing me because I wasn't projecting the thing that they were looking for. So in the end, I, I found I had to go, I had to write to them and say, look, I want to be on your bondage site. And that's how that's how I ended up being able to do it at all, by being just very honest and and expressing what was inside me rather than what I looked like.
1: I think it brings two things to mind. Mm-hmm. First of all, obviously, the the height. have you always been comfortable with it, or was no, it something? No. Yeah, because my daughter's six foot three, and oh, she's hated it the entire it's, time.
2: It's really hard. yeah, it's really hard, especially when you're young and when other when boys haven't grown to their full heights. Yeah. I mean, I just felt so self-conscious and so visible and I'm absolutely fine with it now. But honestly, if I was able to shrink a bit, I would, if I could be five foot seven instead of six foot two, I would, because it would certainly make my job easier. I would look more like the submissive that I am. And, and yeah, it's, it's weird being taller than a dominant. It doesn't feel right. I just always think I can just kneel down a lot. It'd be fine.
1: So I do. (laughs) But you also present an amazing canvas, which is unlike what most bondage models are, which are usually demure and a little bit smaller, but you present an amazing canvas to work on.
2: Well, that's a nice way to think about about it. Thank you. I mean, I, I do, honestly, I wish I looked different, but there's nothing I can do about it. So I've made it work to the best of my ability. Um, But I, I look at kind of small, delicate looking bondage models, and I think, well, that looks right. That looks right. But I think you're right. If someone's kind of looking for a challenge, the idea of kind of dominating someone who is physically imposing, I guess maybe for some people there is an appeal to that. I certainly hope so.
1: I was about to say that sounds like an amazing custom video that somebody would have, of being of being someone who is taller than the dominant because you you could walk in wearing heels looking down and then suddenly I just see I see possibilities there for some reason not that you'd ever want to be dominant but just with the appearance of it and somebody goes no 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 (laughs) yes yes because it would be a transformation yes what did you have in mind wearing that no 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 (laughs) no
2: yes how how tall is your love he's five foot ten so oh boy (laughs) so i never wear high heels ever 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 when we go out ever. Well, I don't really wear high heels in normal life. I only wear them for modelling anyway. But yeah, and I just I think that well, when I sit down or when we're in bed my height is not important. So that's like I'm grateful for that. But yeah, I mean I don't think we look like a couple and in fact men come and hit on me when I'm standing right next to him because they don't realize that we're together. So yeah, being a tall woman is full of complexities. <laughs>
1: Well, I feel like we could keep talking forever because I just enjoy talking to you. You are so sweet and just amazing in the way that you've been able to live your life and create the life that you want to have. And I well, it's love talking to, talk to another sub.
2: It's nice to talk to another sub about it because I guess you know our needs and the things we wanted will have been quite similar in some ways. And yeah, to get them, it's very valuable, isn't it? To have those experiences. And so I want that for other subs. And I guess I've written about what it's been like to have some of these experiences in the hope that other subs might read my book. And if they haven't had those experiences, maybe it will embolden them a little bit to go out and seek them because it's worth it. I think it's, it's scary, but it's definitely worth it.
1: we will definitely promote the book on the show and thank you so much absolutely and hopefully sometime when you come over across the pond this way we might run into each other somewhere and I would just love to be able to say hello and thank you thank you so much for taking the time you did with us today
2: thank you so much as well thank you for having me
1: What an amazing story from an amazing woman and I know she is going to be absolutely successful in whatever she does. Going from mainstream media work to finding her authentic self. That's really the story that we'd love to tell here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want and we'll continue to tell in the upcoming weeks.
0: Here's what's coming up on the next edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Presented by Dating Kinky.
1: She has been in the BDSM scene for 25 years. At six foot, five inches tall, busty, leaned, and naturally muscled, she is an Amazon fantasy come to life. She is Goddess Severa on what women and other wonderful humans want. A new edition of the show
0: premieres next Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Special thanks to Ariel Anderson for joining us on the show. And thank you to you, our listeners. We do appreciate you each and every week. And thank you for putting up in my voice for this particular episode. I'm John, always known as Hi There Katsu. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. And I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always.
0: What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at What women Want P1. On Instagram at What Women Want Podcast. For our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast. And now, select shows are available in video format at youtube.com slash dating kinky. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Built by Kingsters for Kingsters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla, and it's free.